0: Chapter 4. He was a handyman at his trade, an all-round man, as artisans in country towns are apt to be. In London, the man who carves the boss, or knob of leafage, declines to cut the fragment of moulding which merges that leafage, as if it were a degradation to do the second half of one whole. When there was not much gothic moulding for Jude to run, or much window-tracery on the bankers, He would go out lettering monuments or tombstones and take a pleasure in the change of handiwork. The next time that he saw her was when he was on a ladder executing a job of this sort inside one of the churches. There was a short morning service, and when the parson entered, Jude came down from his ladder and sat with the half-dozen people forming the congregation till the prayer should be ended and he could resume his tapping. He did not... observed, till the service was half over, that one of the women was Sue, who had perforce accompanied the elderly Miss Fontover thither. Jude sat watching her pretty shoulders, her easy, curiously nonchalant risings and sittings, and her perfunctory genuflections, and thought, what a help such an angelican would have been to him in happier circumstances. It was not so much his anxiety to get on with his work that made him go up to it, Immediately the worshippers began to take their leave, it was that he dared not, in this holy spot, confront the woman who was beginning to influence him in such an indescribable manner. Those three enormous reasons why he must not attempt intimate acquaintance with Sue Bridehead, now that his interest in her had shown itself to be unmistakably of a sexual kind, loomed as stubbornly as ever. But it was also obvious that man could not live by work alone. That particular man, Jude, at any rate, wanted something to love. Some men would have rushed incontinently to her, snatched the pleasure of easy friendship which she could hardly refuse, and have left the rest a chance. Not so Jude, at first. But as the days, and still more particularly the lonely evenings, dragged along, he found himself, to his moral consternation, to be thinking more of her instead of thinking less of her, and experiencing a fearful bliss in doing what was erratic, informal, and unexpected. Surrounded by her influence all day, walking past the spots she frequented, he was always thinking of her, and was obliged to own to himself that his conscience was likely to be the loser in the battle. To be sure, she was almost an ideality to him still. Perhaps to know her would be to cure himself of this unexpected and unauthorized passion. A voice whispered that, Though he desired to know her, he did not desire to be cured. There was not the least doubt that from his own orthodox point of view, the situation was growing immoral. For Sue to be the loved one of a man who was licensed by the laws of his country to love Arabella and none other unto his life's end, was a pretty bad second beginning when the man was bent on such a course as Jude proposed. This conviction was so real with him that one day when, as was frequent, he was at work in the neighboring village church alone. He felt it to his duty to pray against his weakness, but much as he wished to be an exemplar in these things, he could not get on. It was quite impossible, he found, to ask to be delivered from temptation when your heart's desire was to be tempted unto seventy times seven, so he excused himself. After all, he said, it is not altogether an erotolepsy that is the matter with me, as that, that first time. I can see that she is exceptionally bright, and it is partly a wish for intellectual sympathy and craving for loving-kindness in my solitude. Thus he went on adoring her, fearing to realize that it was human perversity. For whatever used virtues, talents, or ecclesiastical saturation, it was certain that those items were not at all the cause of his affection for her. On an afternoon at this time, a young girl entered the stonemason's yard with some hesitation, and lifting her skirts to avoid dragging them in the white dust, crossed towards the office. That's a nice girl, said one of the men known as Uncle Joe. Who is she? asked another. I don't know. I've seen her about here and there. Why, yes, she's the daughter of that clever chap, Bridehead who did all the wrought-iron work at St. Silas's ten years ago, and went away to London afterwards. I don't know what he's doing now, not much a fancy, as she's come back here. Meanwhile, the young woman had knocked at the office door and asked if Mr. Jude Fawley was at work in the yard. It so happened that Jude had gone out somewhere or other that afternoon, which information she received with a look of disappointment, and went away immediately. When Jude returned, they told him, and described her, whereupon he exclaimed, Why, that's my cousin Sue! He looked along the street after her, but she was out of sight. He had no longer any thought of a conscientious avoidance of her, and resolved to call upon her that very evening. And when he reached his lodging, he found a note from her, a first note, one of those documents which, simple and commonplace in themselves, are seen retrospectively to have been pregnant with impassioned consequences. The very unconsciousness of a looming drama which is shown in such innocent first epistles from women to men, or vice versa, makes them, when such a drama follows, and they are read over by the purple or lurid light of it, all the more impressive, solemn, and in cases, terrible. Sus was of the most artless and natural kind. She addressed him as her dear cousin Jude, and said she had only just learnt by the merest accident that he was living in Christminster, and reproached him with not letting her know. They might have had such nice times together, she said, for she was thrown much upon herself, and had hardly any congenial friend. But now there was every possibility of her soon going away, so that the chance of companionship wouldn't be lost, perhaps forever. A cold sweat overspread Jude at the news that she was going away. That was a contingency he had never thought of, and it spurred him to write all the more quickly to her. He would meet her that very evening, he said, one hour from the time of writing, at the cross in the pavement which marked the spot of the martyrdoms. When he had dispatched the note by a boy, He regretted that in his hurry he should have suggested to her to meet him out of doors, when he might have said to her that he would call upon her. It was, in fact, the country custom to meet thus, and nothing else had occurred to him. Arabella had been met in the same way, unfortunately, and it might not seem respectable to a dear girl like Sue. However, it could not be helped now, and he moved towards the point of a a few minutes before the hour under the glimmer of the newly lighted lamps the broad street was silent and almost deserted although it was not late he saw a figure on the other side which turned out to be hers and they both converged towards the cross mark at the same moment before either had reached it she called out to him i'm not going to meet you just there for the first time in my life come farther on the voice though positive and silvery, had been tremulous. They walked on in parallel lines, and, waiting her pleasure, Jude watched till she showed signs of closing in, when he did likewise, the place being where the carrier's cart stood in the daytime, though there was none on the spot then. "'I am sorry that I asked you to meet me, and didn't call,' began Jude with the bashfulness of a lover. "'But I thought it would save time if we were going to walk.' "'Oh, I don't mind that,' she said with the freedom of a friend. I have really no place to ask anybody into. What I meant was that the place you chose was so horrid. I suppose I ought not to say horrid. I mean gloomy and inauspicious in its associations. But isn't it funny to begin like this when I don't know you yet? She looked him up and down curiously, though Jude did not look much at her. You seem to know me more than I know you, she added. Yes, I have seen you now and then. And you knew who I was and didn't speak. And now I am going away. Yes, that's unfortunate. I have hardly any other friend. I have indeed one very old friend here somewhere, but I don't quite like to call on him just yet. I wonder if you would know anything of him, Mr. Fallotson. A parson somewhere about the county, I think he is. No, I only know of one, Mr. Fallotson. He lives a little way out on the country at Lumsden. "'He's a village schoolmaster.' "'Huh. I wonder if he's the same. Surely it is impossible, only a schoolmaster still. Do you know his Christian name? Is it Richard?' "'Yes, it is. I've directed books to him, though I've never seen him.' "'Then he couldn't do it.' Jude's countenance fell, for how could he succeed in an enterprise wherein the great Philotston had failed?' He would have had a day of despair if the news had not arrived during his sweet sue's presence but even at the moment he had visions of how felatston's failure in the grand university scheme would depress him when she had gone as we are going to take a walk suppose we go and call upon him said jude suddenly it is not late she agreed and they went along up a hill and through some prettily wooded country Presently the embattled tower and square turret of the church rose into the sky, and then the schoolhouse. They inquired of a person in the street if Mr. Philotson was likely to be at home, and were informed that he was always at home. A knock brought him to the schoolhouse door, with a candle in his hand, and a look of inquiry on his face, which had grown thin and careworn since Jude had last set eyes on him. That after all these years the meeting with Mr. Philotson— should be of this homely complexion destroyed at one stroke the halo which had surrounded the schoolmaster's figure in Jude's imagination ever since their parting. It created in him at the same time a sympathy with Philotson as such obviously much chastened and disappointed man. Jude told him his name and said he had come to see him as an old friend who had been kind to him in his youthful days. "'I don't remember you in the least,' "'said the schoolmaster thoughtfully. "'You were one of my pupils, you say?' "'Yes, no doubt. "'But they number so many thousands by this time of my life. "'I have naturally changed so much "'that I remember very few except the quite recent ones.' "'It was out at Marygreen,' said Jude, "'wishing he had not come. "'Yes, I was there a short time.' "'And is this an old pupil, too?' "'No, that's my cousin. "'I wrote to you for some grammars, if you recollect, and you sent them?' "'Ah, oh, yes. I do dimly recall that incident.' "'It was very kind of you to do it, and it was you who first started me on that course. "'On the morning you left Mary Green, when your goods were on the wagon, "'you wished me goodbye and said your scheme was to be a university man and enter the church.' That a degree was necessary hallmark of one who wanted to do anything as a theologian or teacher. I remember I thought all that privately, but I wonder I did not keep up my own counsel. The idea was given up years ago. I have never forgotten it. It was that which brought me to this part of the country and out here to see you tonight. Come in, said Mr. Philotson, and your cousin too. They entered the parlor of the schoolhouse, where there was a lamp with a paper shade, which threw the light down on three or four books. Philotston took it off so that they could see each other better, and the rays fell on the nervous little face and vivacious dark eyes and hair of Sue, on the earnest features of her cousin, and on the schoolmaster's own mature face and figure, showing him to be a spare and thoughtful personage of five and forty, with a thin-lipped, somewhat refined mouth, a slightly stooping habit and a black frock coat, which, from continued frictions, shone a little at the shoulder blades, the middle of the back, and at the elbows. The old friendship was imperceptibly renewed, the schoolmaster speaking of his experiences and the cousins of theirs. He told them that he still thought of the church sometimes, and that though he could not enter it as he had intended to do in former years, he might enter it as in a licentiate. Meanwhile, he said he was comfortable in his present position, though he was in want of a pupil teacher. They did not stay to supper, Sue having to be indoors before it grew late, and the road was retraced to Christminster. Though they had talked of nothing more than general subjects, Jude was surprised to find what a revelation of woman his cousin was to him. She was so vibrant that everything she did seemed to have its source in feeling. An exciting thought would make her walk ahead so fast that he could hardly keep up with her, and her sensitiveness on some points was such that it might have been misread as vanity. It was with heart sickness he perceived that, while her sentiments toward him were those of the frankest friendliness only, he loved her more than before, becoming acquainted with her and the gloom of their walk home lay not in the night overhead, but in the thought of her departure. "'Why must you leave Christminster?' he said regretfully. "'How can you do otherwise than to cling to a city in whose history such men as Newman, Pusey, Ward, Keeble loom so large?' "'Yes, they do. Though how large do they loom in the history of the world? "'What a funny reason for caring to stay. I should never have thought of it,' she laughed." "'Well, I must go,' she continued. "'Miss Fontover, one of the partners whom I serve, is offended with me, and I with her, and it is best to go.' "'How did that happen?' "'She broke some statuary of mine.' "'Oh, willfully?' "'Yes. She found it in my room, and though it was my property, she threw it on the floor and stamped on it, because it was not according to her taste, and ground the arms and head of one of the figures to all bits,' with her heel. A horrid thing. Too Catholic apostolic for her, I suppose? No doubt she called them popish images and talked of the invocation of saints. No. No, she didn't do that. She saw the matter quite differently. Then I am surprised. Yes, it was for quite some other reason that she didn't like my patron saints. So I was led to retort upon her And the end of it was that I resolved not to stay, but to get into the occupation in which I shall try to be more independent. Why don't you try teaching again? You once did, I heard. I never thought of resuming it, for I was getting on as an art designer. Do let me ask Mr. Philotsonin to let you try your hand in his school. If you like it, you could go to a training college and become a first-class certified mistress. You get twice as large an income as any designer or church artist, and twice as much freedom. Well, ask him. Now I must go in. Goodbye, dear Jude. I am so glad we have met at last. We needn't quarrel because our parents did, need we? Jude did not like to let her see quite how much he agreed with her, and went his way to the remote street in which he had his lodging. To keep Sue Bridehead near him now was a desire which operated without regard of consequences, and the next evening he again set out for Lumpston, fearing to trust to the persuasive effects of a note only. The schoolmaster was unprepared for such a proposal. What I rather wanted was a second year's transfer, as it is called, he said. Of course your cousin would do, personally, but she has... Had no experience. Oh, she has, has she? Does she really think of adopting teaching as a profession? Jude said she was disposed to do so, he thought, and his ingenious arguments on her natural fitness for assisting Mr. Fallotston, of which Jude knew nothing whatsoever, so influenced the schoolmaster that he said he would engage her, assuring Jude as a friend that unless his cousin readily meant to follow on in the same course, and regarded this this step as the first stage of an apprenticeship, of which her training in a normal school would be the second stage. Her time would be wasted quiet, the salary being merely nominal. The day after this visit, Philotsden received a letter from Jude, containing the information that he had again consulted his cousin, who took more and more warmly to the idea of tuition, and that she had agreed to come. It did not occur for a moment to the schoolmaster and recluse that Jude's ardor in promoting the arrangement arose from any other feelings towards Sue than the instinct of cooperation common among members of the same family. Chapter 5 The schoolmaster sat in his homely dwelling attached to the school, both being modern erections, and he looked across the way at the old house in which his teacher, Sue, had a lodging. The arrangement had been concluded very quickly. A pupil-teacher who was to have been transferred to Mr. Philotson's school had failed him, and Sue had been taken as a stopgap. All such provisional arrangements as these could only last till the next annual visit of H. M. Inspector, whose approval was necessary to make them permanent. Having taught for some two years in London, though she had abandoned the vocation of late, Miss Bridehead was not exactly a novice and Philotsden thought there would be no difficulty in retaining her services, which he had already wished to do so, though she had only been with him for three or four weeks. He had found her quite as bright as Jude had described her, and what master tradesman does not wish to keep an apprentice who saves himself from half his labor? It was a little over half past eight o'clock in the morning, and he was waiting to see her cross the road to the school when he would follow. At twenty minutes to nine she did cross, a light hat tossed on her head and he watched her as a curiosity. A new emanation, which had nothing to do with her skill as a teacher, seemed to surround her this morning. He went to the school also and Sue remained governing her class at the other end of the room all day under his eye. She certainly was an excellent teacher. It was part of his duty to give her private lessons in the evening and some article in the code made it necessary that a respectable elderly woman should be at present at these lessons when the teacher and the taught were of different sexes. Richard Falotsden thought of the absurdity of the regulation in this case, when he was old enough to be the girl's father, but he faithfully acted up to it and sat down with her in a room where Mrs. Hawes, the widow at whose house Sue lodged, occupied herself with sewing. The regulation was, indeed, not easy to evade, for there were no other sitting rooms in the dwelling. Sometimes, as she figured, it was arithmetic that they were working at, she would involuntarily glance up with a little inquiring smile at him, as if she assumed that, being the master, he must perceive all that was passing in her brain as right or wrong. Velodstan was not really thinking of the arithmetic at all, but of her, in a novel way which somehow seemed strange to him as a preceptor, perhaps she knew that he was thinking of her thus. For a few weeks their work had gone on with a monotony which in itself was a delight to him. Then it happened that the children were to be taken to Christminster to see an itinerant exhibition in the shape of a model of Jerusalem to which schools were admitted at a penny a head in the interests of education. They marched along the road two and two, she beside her class with her simple cotton sunshade, her little thumb cocked up against its stem, and Philotsden behind his, in his long dangling coat, handling his walking stick gently, in the musing mood which had come over him since her arrival. The afternoon was one of sun and dust, but when they entered the exhibition room, few people were present but themselves. The model of the ancient city stood in the middle of the apartment, and the proprietor, with a fine religious philanthropy written on his features, walked round it with a pointer in his hand, showing the young people the various quarters and places known to them by name from reading their Bibles. Mount Moriah, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the City of Zion, the walls and the gates, outside one of which there was a large mound like a tumulus, and on the mound with a little white cross. The spot, he said, was Calvary. I think said Sue to the schoolmaster, as she stood with him a little in the background, that this model, elaborate as it is, is a very imaginary production. How does anybody know that Jerusalem was like this in the time of Christ? I am sure this man doesn't. It is made after the best conjectural maps, based on actual visits to the city as it now exists. "'I fancy we have had enough of Jerusalem,' she said, "'considering we are not descended from the Jews, "'there was nothing first-rate about the place, "'or people, after all, "'as there was about Athens, Rome, Alexandria, "'and other old cities.' "'But, my dear girl, consider what it is to us.' "'She was silent, for she was easily repressed, "'and then perceived behind the group of children "'clustered around the model,' a young man in a white flannel jacket, his form being bent so low in his intent inspection of the Valley of Jehoshaphat that his face was almost hidden from view by the Mount of Olives. Look at your cousin Jude, continued the schoolmaster. He doesn't think we have had enough of Jerusalem. Ah, I didn't see him, she cried in her quick, light voice. Jude, how seriously you are going into it. Jude started up from his reverie and saw her. Oh, Sue, he said with a glad flush of embarrassment. These are your school children, of course. I saw that schools were admitted in the afternoons, and I thought you might come. But I got so deeply interested, I didn't remember where I was. How it carries one back, doesn't it? I could examine it for hours, but I only have a few minutes, unfortunately, for I am in the middle of a job out here. Your cousin is so terribly clever that she criticizes it unmercifully, said Philotston with good-humored satire. She is quite skeptical as to its correctness. No, Mr. Philotsden, I am not, altogether. I hate to be what is called a clever girl. There are too many of that sort now, answered Sue sensitively. I only meant, I don't know what I meant, except that it was what you don't understand. I know your meaning, said Jude ardently, although he did not, and I think you are quite right. That's a good Jude. I know you believe me. She impulsively seized his hand, and leaving a reproachful look on the schoolmaster, turned away to Jude, her voice revealing a tremor, which she herself felt to be absurdly uncalled for by sarcasm so gentle. She had not the least conception of how the hearts of the twain went out to her at this momentary revelation of feeling, and what a complication she was building up thereby in the futures of both. The model wore too much of an educational aspect for the children not to tire of it soon, and a little later in the afternoon they were all marched back to Lumsden, Jude returning to his work. He watched the juvenile flock in their clean frocks and pinafores filing down the street towards the country beside Philotston and Sue, and a sad, dissatisfied sense of being out of the scheme of the latter's lives had possessed him. Philotston had invited him to walk out and see them on Friday evening, when there would be no lessons to give to Sue, and Jude had eagerly promised to avail himself of the opportunity. Meanwhile, the scholars and teachers moved homewards, and the next day, on looking on the blackboard in Sue's class, Philotston was surprised to find upon it, skillfully drawn in chalk, a perspective view of Jerusalem, with every building shown in its place. "'I thought you took no interest in the model, and hardly looked at it,' he said. "'I hardly did,' said she, "'but I remembered that much of it.'" "'It is more than I remembered myself.'" Her Majesty's school inspector was at that time paying surprise visits in this neighborhood to test the teaching unawares. Two days later, in the middle of the morning lessons, the latch of the door was softly lifted and in walked my gentleman, the King of Terrors, to pupil-teachers. To Mr. Filotson, the surprise was not great. Like the lady in the story, he had been played that trick too many times to be unprepared but Sue's class was at the farther end of the room, and her back was toward the entrance. The inspector therefore came, and stood behind her, and watched her teaching some half-minute before she became aware of his presence. She turned, and realized that an oft-dreaded moment had come. The effect upon her timidity was such that she uttered a cry of fright. Philotsden, with a strange instinct of solitude quite beyond his control, was at her side just in time to prevent her falling from faintness. She soon recovered herself and laughed, but when the inspector had gone, there was such a reaction, and she was so white, that Philotsden took her into his room and gave her some brandy to bring her round. She found him holding her hand. "'You ought to have told me,' she gasped petulantly, "'that one of the inspector's surprise visits was imminent. "'Oh, what shall I do? Now he'll write and tell the managers that I am no good, and I shall be disgraced forever.' He looked so gently at her that she was moved, and regretted that she had upbraided him. When she was better, she went home. Jude, in the meantime, had been waiting impatiently for Friday. On both Wednesday and Thursday, he had been so much under the influence of his desire to see her, that he walked after dark some distance along the road in the direction of the village, and on returning to his room to read, found himself quite unable to concentrate his mind on the page. On Friday, as soon as he had got himself up, as he thought Sue would like to see him, he made a hasty tea, he set out, notwithstanding that the evening was wet. The trees overhead deepened the gloom of the hour, and they dripped sadly upon him, impressing him with forebodings, illogical forebodings. For though he knew that he loved her, he also knew that he could not be more to her than he was. On turning the corner and entering the village, the first sight that greeted his eyes was that of two figures under one umbrella coming out of the vicarage gate. He was too far back for them to notice him, but he knew in a moment that they were Sue and Philotston. The latter was holding an umbrella over her head, and they had evidently been paying a visit to the vicar, probably on some business connected with schoolwork. And as they walked along, The wet and deserted lane, Jude saw Philonston place his arm round the girl's waist, whereupon she gently removed it, but he replaced it, and she let it remain, looking quickly round her with an air of misgiving. She did not look absolutely behind her, and therefore did not see Jude, who sank into the hedge like one struck with a blight. There he remained hidden till they had reached Sue's cottage, and she had passed in, Philonston going on to the school hard by. "'Oh, he's too old for her, too old!' cried Jude in all the terrible sickness of hopeless, handicapped love. "'He could not interfere. Was he not Arabella's?' "'He was unable to go on further, and retraced his steps towards Christminster. "'Every tread of his feet seemed to say to him that he must on no account stand in the schoolmaster's way with Sue. "'Felonston was perhaps twenty years her senior,' but many a happy marriage had been made in such conditions of age. The ironical clinch to his sorrow was given by the thought that the intimacy between his cousin and the schoolmaster had been brought about entirely by himself.